Hi, welcome to Sweetman Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Simon Sweetman, and this is episode 265. And this is a very short episode, and it's a different one from what I normally do. This is a phoner, um, and it's only about 20 minutes of your time. Uh, Look, it's my birthday, and I'm on holiday at the moment. I'm away, so I wanted to just put something up to keep things happening, um, but I didn't want to put a whole lot of work in. Um, I need a break too. Uh, But I've got something good for you, hopefully. This is a phone interview with Ben Elton. Uh, the great Ben Elton who has dominated TV culture across the last quarter century and who I grew up uh, in, in awe of and then discovered many years later that he was writing dozens of books and I've read many of those and loved those. So some people come at him uh, from the point of view of him being a TV writer, some people know him as a novelist and of course he is a stand-up comedian. He's only ever done three tours and uh, those three tours every time he's come to New Zealand and I've seen him every time so I guess you could say I'm a fan. Uh, When he came this last time, the show has been and gone a a month or so ago, they asked me if I wanted to interview him and it's like yeah of course so I wrote up the interview um, but I have the audio of it and I thought I'd share it it's just a conversation over the phone he was in Australia he actually lives in Australia maybe some people don't know that Uh, he lives in Aussie and he was on the road at the time of this doing his shows and this is your standard sort of promotional interview we don't get to get into everything but we did have a nice conversation we are mostly talking about the style of the show that he's written and of course you know it was uh, his tour was cancelled, postponed because of COVID. So we do talk a bit about that, and then he got to go on the road and and do the show. Um, I I didn't review the show, but I did go to it, and I was blown away by it. I thought it was amazing. And I, look, I had reservations. You know, this conversation set me up nicely, and I thought, yeah, it'll be great. But then I did worry. Well, like you know. He is an entitled rich boomer that's about to go and make fun of that on stage. That that might not go down well, but he did it brilliantly. And uh, I've always thought he's a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant comic mind. And, uh, you know, it would have been nice to meet him when he was in town and actually do a longer podcast that was on the cards at one point, but it didn't happen. So I share this with you now and back to a, uh, a longer form interview with a, a guest in person next week. But for right now, this is me talking to the legendary Ben Elton. Hey Simon, got Ben on the line. Great, thank you. Thank you. Hi Simon. Hi Ben, how are you? I'm good, thanks. Good, very good. What? Well, it's uh, early in the morning in Canberra for you, is that right? Yeah, not too early. I mean, <laughs> I, I couldn't sleep so well. I went and got to get up and do it, but yeah, I've been putting it get towards nine now. But all good, all good. All good. And you've you're underway with your Australian tour finally. Underway, yeah, yeah. No, I've been doing it for. Two and a half weeks been adding dates. We just did three in Sydney and two in Melbourne. It's been going fantastic. Wow. Uh, so, yeah, finally back on the road, and it's all a preparation for New Zealand. <laughs> well, let's start there because I, I was going to ask you this the cheesy New Zealand question, but um, I mean, I know you're often based in Australia, but we feel very lucky. You don't tour all that often, and yet every time you've toured extensively, you've come and seen us. Well, you know, because there's a there's an audience for me in New Zealand, and, and I've always I think any comic always feels a great kind of delight, I and mean, you almost feel an obligation. There's people who want to see you. Think, oh my God, there's so many, you know, performers dreaming of having an audience, and here I am. I've got an audience. I'd better I'd better damn well look after it. I mean, I've never been, um, you know, a big hit in America, so I've never had that, uh, you know, temptation drawing me away. The audience for my comedy tends to be you know, Britain and Ireland and, and New Zealand and Australia. And so when I tour, I like to, to play to everyone. Sometimes I've done a few gigs in Canada and 
a little bit. Uh, it's kind of funny interest. You know, the Europeans are so, you know, their English is so good you can do that. But really, my stuff is, is Britain, Oz, and New Zealand. So, yeah, and I, and I, I love coming. I mean, I can, I can think of less beautiful countries that you come to. So, <laughs> I'm looking at three, three weeks touring us in New Zealand. I mean, you know, how lucky am I, quite frankly? Yeah, and, and, and we're lucky because part of you not touring much means we're always going to see a different show because not just comedy changes and evolves and there are new things to talk about, but the gaps between your shows are getting bigger, so the whole world is changing. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, this was a big ride. I mean, I've never been... I was away for 15 years in the past. When I first died, I was touring pretty continually, and then, you know, every couple of years I'd come back, and I always had a new show. I've never repeated it. Yeah. Although, quite interestingly, in this show, there's a... there's an element of retrospective, but only because I'm looking at one or two routines I did back in the 80s and how they would be viewed now. I'm taking a look at that. That's quite an interesting part of the show. But it's all comedy, and it's getting hilarious laughs, and we're all, it's all going well. So, um, But, yeah, a lot has changed, and I, I talk about that, and I talk about my amusement. I mean, I, I've been in it 40 years now, and mm. I started off as a confident young but all young people you know young people's opinions nothing stronger than the opinions of a young person um and as you grow older you you, you come to kind of question certain certainties and things that almost appear more confusing than they were when you were young and that's actually a theme of the show i kind of the more i see the less i know that that that, that the things i i thought were, were, were kind of certain are no longer certain you and know i mean gosh, while i was touring uk the britain was breaking up yeah, yeah. Leaving Europe, Scotland was leaving, leaving England. <laughs> you know, it looked at, at one point like we were going to have more genders than countries in the, in, the, in the UK. I mean, everything was changing so quickly. And and I mean, no disrespect to you, of course, but that that makes you almost unique as a sixty-year-old white man admitting that the older you get, the less you know. Well, certainly, it's funny to me because a lot of interviewers, you haven't done it yourself yet. I said, oh, it's political correctness. Have you, you know, are you finding that you're no longer allowed to say what you want to say, which is complete rubbish. I can say whatever I want to say and continue yeah. to do so. But this idea that, that middle-aged white men are somehow being, are losing their voice, that a, a kind of woke culture is, is, is crushing the opinions of middle-aged white men. Well, uh, and, and that comes from conservative white men. And I think, well, excuse me, you've got Johnson, Prime Minister of Britain, Morrison, Prime Minister of Australia, and Trump, recently president of the States. I think conservative white middle-aged men are certainly still finding a fucking voice. Yeah, yeah. Um, But I'm obviously not a conservative white middle-aged man, although I am a white middle-aged man, and I deal with that. Of course I do. I deal with, uh, uh, you know, the changing attitudes towards that and and uh, the dawning realisation of of what privilege means. You know, I deal with the shit that's going on. I've always done so, and I always will do, uh, in as funny a way as I possibly can. I think that... um, uh, comedy is is a great art form, a great medium for ideas. I think the more serious and the more complicated the stuff you're talking about, the funnier the material becomes, um, because complexity, you know, can be hilarious. And my goodness, we live in a complex world. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know if tension's the right word, but is there a tension for you between the, the sort of access between performer and writer? You seem to alternate. I mean, I, I see you as a writer first and foremost. Is that what you see yourself as? Oh, unquestionably. Yeah. And, it, and it's not to see myself, it's what I am. Yeah. I mean, when I'm on stage, essentially there is a writer. I've written all that material. 
Yeah. Of course, I'm recreating it live, and there will be elements of improvisation. But improvisation is writing. Uh, Woody Allen said, "When I write a joke, I'm hearing it for the first time." Yeah. I mean, there comes a point that any artist, you know, whether you're doodling in a notebook at work, it's an it's an artistic, it's a moment of artistic expression, or whether you're Van Gogh doing his sunflowers, there comes a point at which you commit the pen or the paintbrush to the paper. And that's the moment of writing, that's the moment of inspiration, but you don't know what it's going to look like until you've done it. Um, and so, for me, stand-up is me finding out what my writing looks like live on stage and, and recreating those ideas that I created in the privacy of my study uh, at the sharp end. And, of course, there is no sharper end for an artist than stand-up comedy, I would say. It is the most, sort of, <laughs> the most immediate... And hence the most reactive and the tensest and the most, um, yeah, I, I suppose the, the scariest um, way of expressing yourself as an artist because you are literally saying, I need an, an instant reaction to this and it had better be positive or else I'm going to die in front of your eyes. Yeah. <laughs> and this... It's never happened to me. No, but there is the, there is the opportunity or the, the possibility that it's going to be different or, um, differently received on any single night. Which is exciting, right? It could happen, and that's, that makes it exciting. And for me, particularly after the lockdown year, the, 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 the chance to get out and, and work with an audience. I don't work at audience. I don't believe this idea of conquering a room. Mm. Um, oh, I really, I really, I really destroyed that crowd. All these aggressive ways of describing stand up. That's not for me. For me, it's, it's, it's a kind of communication. Although I'm doing the talking and they're doing the listening, it's still a two-way street. It's, I've got to engage the imagination of a thousand individuals in a room. That's a thousand different individual imaginations and I've got to collectively engage with each one of them. Um, that, for me, is about making yourself understood. That's about the clarity of your comic view. Um, and to me, that's the subtle thing. That's not a bludgeoning. I, I hope, despite the fact that I shout and I swear quite a bit on stage, I don't shout quite so much anymore. Um, I hope I'm still coming on with a rapier, not a sledgehammer. For yeah. me, wit is complex, and 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 to get wit across, you have to you have to respect the intelligence of your audience and not see yourself as suddenly as trying to bludgeon them into submission. That's not how I work. Yeah, yeah. It's. It, I mean, I, I feel like you've been a prolific force in writing, and it's somewhat ironic that you've been criticised for that. Um, people will argue that, you know, is he doing too much? Is he across too many mediums? Um, but you're, you've actually just been a publisher, a person who's explored publishing in its many different guises. Yeah, right. I mean, I, I mean publishing, in a, in, I suppose, in, a, in an artistic sense. Yeah. I mean, obviously, I've never been in on the business end. I've never been a producer. I'm the only successful comic in Britain who doesn't have his own television production. <laughs> Perhaps I should have done, but it, it's never interested me. I am an artist, and I've never wanted to build an empire or, you know, do a deal with Netflix or whatever. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm happy, in a way, to be a gun buyer, and I make sure I'm only hired by the people that I want to be hired by. I've been lucky that I've been sufficiently successful all my life to only do the work I want to do, um, and uh, that's obviously a great privilege, and it's all writing. I mean, whether I'm doing the lyrics for an Andrew Lloyd Webber musical or whether I'm writing the young ones, I'm expressing myself as honestly and as comedically as I can. Or as, I mean, there's not always just comedy, although there's always comedy in it. You know, I, I yeah, I mean, obviously, I mean, 
media that if you're successful consistently, then probably you're going to end up kind of pissing people off. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but nonetheless, I can honestly say that anything I ever did, I thought was great at the time. It might not have been great, but I really did think it was great. You, I was never drunk pull over anybody's eyes or yeah, going you, for the quick luck. You believed in what you were doing. There was an intention. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I was interested to, I've been, I mean, Probably like a lot of people that end up speaking to you, interviewing you. I mean, I feel like your work's been in my life almost my entire life. I was far too young when I started watching The Young Ones and it set me off uh, in, a, in a happy space when I didn't even fully understand it. Um, but I was, so I was thinking, you know, it's actually 20 years that you've gone from nosing around to writing We Will Rock You. And that seems like an incredible set of bookends. Yeah, it was 20 years. I mean, because what Trump yeah. we will rock you 20 years ago. Yeah. I mean, no, no, around was 1981. Rocky was 201. Yeah. And here we are in 21. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I've made it. But the reason I got We Will Rock You was almost because of Nosing Around and Black <laughs> and And, and, Thin Blue Line. Because Queen loved my comedy. Yeah. And they wanted that musical to be a comedy. Um, and so they ended up saying, hey, why don't we ask Ben Elton if he wants to do it? Um, so it all connects. There's an overt comedy in their, mu- in their music, in the presentation. I mean, Freddie was about pomp, right? Like he was, he was yeah. about, he was, there was content. There's a lot of wit yeah. in Queen's music, in their presentation, in their costumes, in their album covers, and particularly in the eclectic nature of their music. There's a lot of wit. They're very, very, very bright, funny guys. I never met Freddie, of course, but I, yeah. I, I've, I've talked yeah. And um, all four members of the Queen are a really clever guy and, and they all have a great sense of humour. Um, and so, I mean, you know, I've met Dicky, I had a good night with him one time and we, you know, we had a good laugh. He keeps himself to himself. Yeah. But uh, uh, so, yeah, that's how I got that. But it's, the, the reason I'm doing, I mean, I'm writing the Bee Gees biopic at the moment and that's because Barry wanted me because of my comedy. Yeah. You know, he said to the Americans, they'd never pay that. They only vaguely knew who I was because I've never really had much of a career in America. But, um, you know, he said, no, I, I want I want Van Elton because have you seen The Black Adder? Have you seen Upstart Crow? You know, so it's good. British rock stars, particularly ones who were big in the 80s, uh, definitely, you know, they, they seem to... Well, there was, I mean, the, the, the acts you're talking about are, are distinctly British and your comedy is a distinctly British thing, so there's an alignment there, but also comedy in the 80s was a form of rock and roll, wasn't it? It was a form of rebellion. You were part of it. I think, I don't know if we go that far. I mean, what happened was that stand-up comedy became such a big deal mm. towards the end of the 80s that Bono coined the famous phrase, comedy is the new rock and roll. Um because suddenly comedians were moving from theatres into stadiums I never did. I mean, I, by then my audience wasn't big enough to do that, but also, you know, I, I, the biggest theatres I've played, I mean, I, I hosted the Nelson Mandela concert at Wembley Arena, so I've played some big, Wembley Stadium, Yeah. Me. Uh, I, I've played some big gigs, but um, I think I was in on the beginning of that rock and roll thing with something like Saturday Live and everything, I and mean, when stand-up comedy became a young person's medium, when I was growing up, it was very much a, a, a medium for middle-aged men, you know, in, in tuxedos with bow ties. And that was great. I used to enjoy a lot of that. You know, Les Dawson, and I, I loved Morgan Wise. But the idea of comedy as something young people did, um, 
whose references were kind of rock and roll, huge punk, you know, mm. came out of the punk revolution. I mean, the Young Ones was '81. That was only it was only five years after Anarchy in the UK. Um, so yeah, I mean, there was a rock and roll element to what was going on in the eighties, and that that kind of carried on ever since. Although it got very corporate because suddenly, you know, acts become so big they're playing arenas. And to me, I, I have no concept of what a stand-up gig in an arena can possibly offer artistically. What I do understand is that it can offer a kind of communal experience where a lot of people come together and sort of almost celebrate their, their, their common taste, the fact that we all love this person, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with that, but I don't think it's particularly an art, artistic experience. I mean, I, I can't really see stand-up working with 8,000 people when all you can see is a, is a big screen. But, you know, if that's sort of not what these gigs are about. They're about... I think as people get more and more enclosed in their iPhones and in their digital world, I think there isn't, people feel a need to get out and be part of a large crowd and celebrate, particularly after the year we've had. So, you know, these days, these arena acts will probably be even bigger, but I'm pleased to say I'm old enough and stupid enough to walk around the country and do all the small, well, they're not small, but the theatres, you know. Yeah, look, about a month ago, I saw Bill Bailey in the the same theatre you're going to play in, and the mood in the room was just of absolute elation. Obviously, he's very good at what he does, and many of us had seen him before, but it was about exactly what you were talking about, the opportunity to be in a room together, sharing I, sharing in a moment and having your screens off. It almost didn't matter who yeah, it was. I talk a lot about that, and uh, I, I think, it, uh, yeah, and particularly if you love in the act, and it's something I, I benefit also now from a lot of kind of almost nostalgia. I have people... I see couples, you know, in the car park, they say, we, we met at your gig gig. Quite a lot of people who come to my gigs met at We Will Rock You show. Wow. a common thing. Yeah. Uh, my wife and I met each other, you know, it, you know, we went to We Will Rock You in Auckland or whatever all those years ago or wherever. Um, so after 40 years, a lot of, I doubt many of my audience are seeing me for the first time. Although sometimes they bring their kids along and that's always lovely because, they do enjoy it, and young people say, oh, I never, I've never even really heard of you, but my mum said you'll enjoy it, and so I've come along, and, you know, so that's a great feeling, you know. There's, there's some advantages to having been around a long time. Well, you're, you're studiously saying that you haven't really built an empire, but what you have done is built a brand, which is undeniable, and, and an enormous legacy, and there you have brand loyalty. You've just described it. Well, yeah, but I, I mean, yeah, I mean, you're using terms which, I think, uh, yeah, they're relevant, but they're not ones I would use. I mean, artistic expression isn't really a brand, it's, it's honesty. Um, of course, you can, you can say, you know, the brand for Shakespeare was high-quality drama. He built that brand, and if, yeah. if you want to put it that way, well, I'm, I'm not going to contradict it, but, but my, 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 my brand is, is self-expression, yeah. uh, as honest and as raw as I can make it. Well, I think people do relate to it. I'm not trying to slip into marketing terms. What am I? Simon. Yeah. So sorry to interrupt. We're just, we're, we're falling into the next time for the next interview. Can okay. we wrap it up? Yeah, sure, Thank sure. You. Thank ha- you. Ben, I wasn't looking to lapse into marketing terms. I was just trying to pay lip service to your extraordinary range of novels, which we didn't even get to touch on. I, I love that and I thank you for that. No, I, was, I, I did understand that. I was just having a bit of a laugh. I yeah. quite like being a brand. Maybe I'll have a business card. Ben Elton, funny guy. i got to go. Yeah, man. Great chat. Yeah, I look forward, look, look forward to seeing you in Wellington. Take care. Uh, all right, all the best. See you ya. too. Bye. See ya.